So that's why we're so, so grateful for the hydro system. I, I think quite literally that Western Montana would not look the way it looks without that resource, without that affordable power. And mm -hmm. keeping that into the future is really, really critical. So we, that's why we spend so much time communicating with our members and, um, and working through your policy that protects our access to that hydropower. Welcome back to DAM, the official podcast of Northwest Hydropower. I'm your host, Austin Rohr, and I manage all things communications here at Northwest River Partners. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that we've spent a good deal of time talking with our friends to the east of the Cascades here in Washington. However, today's guest comes to us from the Rocky Mountains of northwestern Montana, and we're thrilled to share her perspective with you. I'm also personally thrilled because Katie played a big role in helping guide and shape our organization when Kurt and I first began working here four years ago, and in many ways, this podcast is the result of building such a strong foundation for our organization. So, Katie, thank you for being on, and uh, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do and how you wound up in public power. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Austin. I'm just really, really excited to be here. Um, you guys are doing a great job with this podcast and uh, and just continually talking about all the benefits of hydropower. And um, hey, we're just uh, happy to be represented <laughs> coming from uh, Western Montana here. Uh, you know, I, I didn't always think I was uh, headed for the utility world. I have to be honest. I don't know that that's, you know, when people are growing up thinking of what they want to be. It's, I don't know that we think of, uh, <laughs> of the electric utility industry. Um, but I, I really have found my home in public power. Um, I mean, as you know, this is just such a, such a great way to, um, to serve a community and a region. And, and I really, really just love it. Um, I was, you know, my, my background, my career is really in public affairs and communications, um, that's, uh, what I was, was trained in, um, and got, uh, got my degree in business marketing from Montana state and, um, my MBA from university of Montana. So, um, both of the Montana colleges over here, um, and, and enjoyed really a, a sort of varied career in, um, in public affairs. Uh, most recently, before joining Flathead Electric, I was um, the marketing director here at our local community college, and that was just a just a really fun experience as well. Um, and when I was approached about uh, Flathead Electric, I thought, gosh, I don't know. The community college world is pretty fun. <laughs> it's pretty fun and it's pretty varied. And I'm working with all these really extraordinary um, uh, instructors and people from, you know, really all over the world on these different, um, you know, different things that we're teaching these kids and, um, college students, you know, are, they're, they're fun and they kind of keep you young and it's exciting. Uh, we have a really thriving community college here. And, um, I thought, I don't know, I don't know about electricity. I'm not sure that's going to really, that's, that's going to really keep me excited and engaged. And boy, I'll tell you what I was wrong. Uh, so I, I made that leap. Um, just a little over seven years ago and started at Flathead Electric um, in the communications realm um, and really just right away figured out that there's so much more to this industry than initially meets the eye. And uh, I don't think any of us are um, at risk of being bored anytime soon. So um, really have enjoyed enjoyed just getting to know what it's all about and, and working to, uh, 
to keep our members' power affordable and reliable. There's a lot that goes into that. So, yeah, it uh, it takes you by surprise. It certainly does. It's uh, you know, I I and I think it it what you're saying echoes a lot of people in that you don't really necessarily plan to end up in this space, but you know, for people that are trying to figure out what they want to do and and don't know, it's a great place to end up. <laughs> You know, and it, it uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, you'll you'll talk about what you do for work with people and sometimes you see them kind of go like, you know, they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to understand like, you know, what are you talking about with energy and what about dams and hydropower and this and that? And then, you know, as you kind of start talking about all the different things that we have to do, it's like, oh, that actually does sound pretty interesting, but, um, you know. At first, you know, you, that's not the impression you necessarily get when you think about it from an outside perspective. But maybe you could take me through what kind of a, a typical day looks like for someone being in your position. You know, what is being kind of in a community relations role at a co-op look like on a day to day? Sure. And I might um, take a step back and, and talk just specifically about uh, one facet of, of what I do in community relations or oversee, and that's the communications function, um, which was, again, that's kind of where I, where I came from. And so that was that's my bread and butter and something I'm really passionate about and something that I feel um, is becoming just increasingly important in in the public power world, especially because to your point, Austin, um, you know, it is, it is, these are really complex topics that we are trying to educate our members on. And that initial, um, you know, just talking about what you do there, that initial response of, gosh, I'm really not sure I understand. I'm not really sure I understand why we'd need communications in the utility world. Um, I think that we've really, we've really seen a shift to, uh, toward the importance of communications in our, in our industry. Um, because it is very difficult to help people understand why they should care about something like um, hydropower, right? I mean, the end user to fully grasp why they should um, should stay aware of these issues, why they should be, um, you know, taking some of their limited time and energy to learn a little bit more about these issues and how they um, really do ultimately impact their day to day lives. That takes a really uh, strategic communications effort to get people to that point. Um, and so that's, uh, that's, I guess, where I would start in talking about what the day-to-day -day looks like is, you know, we've done a lot of, of work at Flathead Electric um, to be more strategic in how we talk to our members, uh, to be more strategic in how we, um, how we brand ourselves as their trusted energy advisor, um, how we engage with them on certain topics so that when uh, when these things come up where we do need them to to take some action or to get a little bit more involved, we sort of built this baseline or this foundation that we can work that we can work from. And I think that we're uniquely situated to do that um, as utilities in the Northwest because we have such amazing resources um, that we really have become been able to become partners in our in our members. Um, lives and their homes and their businesses, they rely on um, on what we serve them as um, members and customers of the public power industry. And so it's just taking that next step to really engage and remind them um, of who we are and how we can can benefit them. Uh, and that's what we that's what we try to do every day is just continually be engaged, involved in front of them and and moving that uh, moving that that narrative forward. 
um, on the communication side. Um, other functions that uh, when, when we talk commu quote community relations, um, I think that can be a lot of things, but what it looks like at Flathead Electric, uh, we also have the energy services department um, under community relations. And they're really the, the folks that are outreaching every day or are serving as a resource for our members on anything that they need related to their energy usage. So whether it's um, energy efficiency uh, questions or rebate programs, um, encouraging you know conservation efforts, um, we're doing that every day out of, out of that department. We also just recently brought in a distributed energy resource specialist to um, manage our demand response programs and look at uh, look at different options for what makes sense um, for load management and and other distributed energy resources um, in the context of keeping um, our distribution grid reliable and affordable. And so that's part of the energy services mix too, right? Um, we want members to reach out to their utility before they um, invest in solar projects on their home so that we can talk through what that looks like for them and make sure that they're making a, a sound investment that makes sense um, in the context of what our rates are going to do in the future. And they're looking at potential ways to partner with the utility um, and really, I mean, really become a grid partner. Um, I view that as, as a really important part of the future of energy services. So that's some of what we're doing there. Um, we also have got the, uh, the key, we, we call it key members, we're, we're, a, we're a, a co op. So um, a lot of folks refer to this as a key accounts function, but we really call it key members. Um, we're a little bit unique at, at Flathead because we're not in a competitive utility situation. Uh, we serve um, electricity to everybody in our area. But what we really uh, focus on on that key member function is again, really, um, really communicating with the member about the value that uh, that we can bring to them um, as their utility and how we can work together uh, in the future to make sure that we're that that our grid stays reliable and affordable for everyone and that's that's kind of what that key member function is about and then lastly we I also under under my umbrella have got the government affairs um, government affairs function which uh, which we're getting more involved in in public power there's so much um, there's such a spotlight on the energy industry right now from a, a policy perspective, both federal and state. And being increasingly part of that conversation is really important for our industry. So as a you know relatively small co-op, we're we're figuring out what makes the most sense for us and how we get um get involved there and benefit our members um to the best of our ability from the, the government affairs side of things as well. So Day in the life. <laughs> it sounds like a busy day. Um, being in that role where you're able to be engaged with your members on a regular basis and, and really kind of be on the ground and then be able to take that to sort of the government affairs side and be able to, you know, kind of have the firsthand account to share with elected officials. I imagine that's got to be a really I mean, a really good angle to have on it, um, you know, as opposed to somebody just kind of going in there, not really having as much of that connection or maybe understanding, you know, what not just the, the co-op needs, but, you know, I guess what the actual co-op being everybody needs. I think that's um, that's probably one of the things I like most about this role is that it's so it's hyper focused on um, the member 
and what's the best for the member at the end of the day and what the member experience is like, um, you know, what they're, what, how, how they're hearing from us, how, what they're seeing from us. That's, that's really a, most of what um, this role is about is uh, managing, managing that. And you're right. Um, being able to take that and, and go to the next step and um, really start to be involved in forming policy that shapes what our future looks like. Having that perspective is really impactful to go in there and, and, and say, you know, here's the end user. Here's the, um, here's how, how this really shakes out. It's really not public power and um, public policy in general. There are a lot of parallels there. You know, the mm -hmm. decisions that we're making in public power are really focused on the end user. And I mean, it's the same, it's the same way in government. So I think there are a lot of parallels to draw and, and we have a really important story to tell um, on the policy setting side of things. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, you do come with that marketing communications background like we talked about and you know i guess maybe you could describe kind of what what that transition is like going from maybe that side of things to going into more government relations or community relations and kind of you know branching out into some of these other areas you know there's obviously going to be a lot of overlap but i'm sure that there's some differences as well yes well uh i'll tell you i'm not i'm not able to be super objective about communications <laughs> that's that uh, i i <laughs> My opinion is that it is um, is sort of the foundation with with which uh, a lot of our business should be built on. If you're not um, able to effectively communicate with any of these stakeholder groups, right, your members, um, your legislators, uh, federal delegation, I mean, if you don't have that foundation of solid communication to um, bridge gaps and to um, to bring people to common understanding and to find common interests, then I don't feel like we can accomplish any of the rest of what we're trying to do. So I, I feel um, very fortunate. Uh, I'm grateful that that was, that was where my career started. Um, but I'll tell you, that's just naturally how I'm, how, how I'm kind of geared is toward, uh, toward communicating with, with folks first. But again, um, that's, I'm not able to be objective, but I think it's critical, <laughs> mm -hmm. critical. And, uh, and it, so that made it sort of an easy transition into some of these other areas because, um, because I've been so focused on communicating and that's, it's not just pushing out a message. I mean, that's kind of the marketing piece, but the way that we really approached it is, um, is, is attempting to have a two-way conversation with our members and, Thankfully, you know, technology has given us the ability to do that pretty easily. Um, we have a lot of tools where we're uh, gathering feedback from our members, whether it's through um, surveys or through, uh, you know, we've got kind of point of contact, quick um, feedback on different issues. Um, for example, we have, we developed an outage texting solution years back and the last text message that they get is, how was this service for you? And so we get that immediate feedback right when they've used um, used this tool. And then we, um, you know, we try to keep that two-way conversation going. So we're releasing, um, the communications team is about to release another iteration of that tool, but it's in direct response to what we heard from our members. And that's how they'll communicate it is, okay, we heard you. Here's some of what you told us you wanted and here's how to use it. So, um, so again, I think it's just that, that, foundation of communication to do all of the things is, is really important. And it, um, 
we see that it drives better results for the co-op and for our members when when we're having that communication as the base. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, people hear the word communication and there's a million different ways you can try and contextualize it. But ultimately, anytime that we're talking about trying to further anything for it, we need to be able to communicate, right? So <laughs> it is really foundational and, and fundamental. And, you know, there there are a lot of utilities, it seems like, that are kind of picking up on the importance of that. And then you see a few that maybe aren't quite as gung-ho about it yet. But uh, hopefully, you know, that value can be expressed through maybe some of their neighbors and we can kind of spread the word. I mean, I'm not objective about it either. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, yes, but well, I think it's well, a good... we are the gung-ho ones, aren't we, Austin? That's right. Somebody has to be. Yes. <laughs> we have to be hydropower advocates over here, but I also have to be a good, a good comms advocate in general too. So, <laughs> well, really, ultimately it's, it's all about that, right? I'm still... Mm -hmm. I mean, that might be where, where, you know, kind of where my career started. It was my 15 years kind of just focused on just communications before branching into some of these other areas. But that's ultimately still what I'm doing every single day is mm -hmm. communicating with different groups. I mean, it's just different groups. <laughs> we're still, we're still finding ways to effectively communicate with those groups. Um, you know, a lot of the legislative work that we're doing is, it's just a, an expansion of, of communication. So. I've looked, you know, a little bit, obviously, in, uh, whether it's, you know, preparing for the podcast today or doing research in the past for other work that we do here, the Flathead service territory is fairly large and covers some pretty good ground. And I would imagine, as you know, as you're getting to kind of really interact with that community and with those members that there are some kind of different groups there. So it might not be an easy question to answer, but what, kind of what is the Flathead community like? Yeah, um, you're right. We are we are uh, we're the largest co-op in the state of Montana. Um, you know, when you look, you know, regionally or nationally, we aren't aren't necessarily huge, but we've got um, just over fifty seven thousand members. Um, I think seventy six thousand meters. So so we're, we are a fairly large um, service area, and we do serve. Uh, some really diverse um, areas. So the Flathead Valley, which is is kind of it's it's where we're headquartered in kind of the central central location, has a, a couple of different communities that have really different needs. We've got um, we've got Whitefish, Montana, which is a resort um, ski town. Uh, we've got Kalispell, it's kind of the central hub where you know a lot of the business and industry is. We've got Columbia Falls. Um, little bit more of a blue collar based community, but um, thriving, wonderful um, community there and, and adjacent to uh, Whitefish um, area as well. Uh, we've got down to like the, the Flathead Lake um, communities, Big Fork and Lakeside. So there's really some diversity. And then we also serve um, Libby, Montana, which was a traditionally a logging community um, and uh, and very much more rural than, um, than some of the other communities we serve. Um, but I think, you know, I think there are some similarities in that everybody who, most people who live here, they just love Montana. Um, they love, you know, what it offers in terms of being able to step outside your door and um, recreate. They love um, having all of this, this freedom to explore um, all of our uh, available public lands. Um, and a lot of the, the kind of the fabric of, of our communities is built, um, is built on that. 
And with that, uh, we also have seen tourism become a, a major part of our um, economy here in the area as well. But we still are rooted in some of those um, some of those traditional things that really built us in, in terms of um, logging industry and the agricultural industry. Um, and, and, you know, and now we're, we're seeing some shifts into really some strong manufacturing um, in our area and um, a little bit more focus on the, the tech world too. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really unique and special area. Um, absolutely beautiful. If you haven't visited Northwest Montana, then not sure what, not sure what you're waiting for. It seems like everyone else is. <laughs> and, uh, and if we, it's, it's kind of a, a fairly well-kept secret, I think sometimes, but it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty wonderful area. Um, we are seeing a lot of growth. I will say that, uh, all of the areas that we, that we serve really are, are seeing some, some pretty tremendous growth, which has created some challenges for us, us here, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, very special place to live. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like, especially as COVID allowed for a lot more remote work and, you know, people kind of changing maybe where, you know, their priorities or what they want out of life or whatever that they migrated maybe out into some of those areas more and, you know, created some, some challenges. Um, you know, how's that, how has that changed the, the landscape of things for not only, you know, for the area, but for the, the co-op? specifically yeah you know it's it's challenging we um you know as we as, as the co-op as we kind of look to the future and some of the the challenges the region is facing uh you know resource adequacy challenges um whether it's capacity or transmission um you know we're really we're really in a situation where we're having to um to plan for a lot of growth uh, you know we're fortunate in that but um but but that comes with challenges. Um, you know, how do we, how do how do we plan for that growth? When we've got people moving into the area, we expect um, load growth with some of the policy decisions that are being made. Um, and yeah, it's 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 challenging. I mean, we've had certainly supply chain challenges. Um, you know, like everyone else, difficulty getting. Uh, transformers to serve that growth, um, concerns about how we keep rates low in the future. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of focus on, on what that looks like into the future. And I think, I think we've, we've done a, a good job as a utility of um, setting ourselves in the, on the path to plan for a lot of it, but it's, I mean, it's something we will be keeping an eye on for <laughs> a long time here. Yeah. Yeah. And as I understand it, um, you know, you mentioned going to college in Montana, everything you've pretty much made your, or you've pretty much lived your whole life in Montana. Is that correct? I have. Yep. I was born in, uh, in Kalispell. Um, I am a third generation, um, Flathead Valley. Uh, my, my grandpa, um, ranched all over the state of Montana and then ultimately landed uh, here with his family ranch and um and then my sister and um her family and my mom still live on what was what's left of the the final uh house area that my that my grandparents had here in Kalispell so yeah I'm really fortunate to have um have lived here my whole life and then you know of course left for college but came back because this is where I where I want to have raised my family as well um so yeah, I've I really 
I've been able to see all of this transition and all of this change. And, you know, so much of, of what comes with change is, um, is really wonderful, right? I mean, our, our, our towns are thriving, um, but we also are, um, have become so attractive to so many people that we're really struggling with housing prices here. I mean, we're in a, we're in a housing crisis in Northwest Montana, frankly. Um, it's really, really difficult to live here um, and afford a house here for folks. Uh, so that's created some major, major crunches for, um, you know, for business and industry because it's very difficult to find workers right now because folks are having, folks are having to leave if they can't afford to buy homes here. Um, so, you know, with, we're just, we're just trying to balance that as a community. How do we, you know, how do we make sure that we can still, um, serve the needs of our community, that we still have uh, reasonably priced jobs, reasonably priced, priced homes for folks so that we can continue to live here and, and really enjoy, again, that fabric of what um, of what makes this such a special place to live. And I mean, yeah, it's a challenge right now. I have to be honest. Um, there's a lot of discussion about what that looks like in the future here in, in you know, Kalispell and Whitefish. And um, we're not, we're not quite sure, but, but we're working toward we're working towards solutions. And I think that's ultimately part of why I feel um, all of us here at Flathead Electric feel so impassioned about keeping our electric rates low is that's a, you know, we, we, we pay, we use a lot of electricity in Montana. It's, it gets cold. <laughs> uh, our heating load is significant and, um, and it's really, really hard for um, a lot of the members who we serve to have any sort of an incremental uh, increase in power costs. Um, so that's why we're so so grateful for the hydro system, which I really think has helped this uh, this area um, become what it is today through reliable, affordable power. I mean, that's that's at the base of everything we all do, right? And mm -hmm. keeping that, um, you know, keeping that into the future is really, really critical. So we that's why we spend so much time communicating with our members and um, and working through your policy that protects our access to that hydropower um, is critical to our to us in the future. Certainly, and and I I definitely uh, I want to touch a lot more on that and uh, you know explore that topic. One thing I do want to do is is maybe for context also, um, you know, try and give people an idea. I, I imagine, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this that that haven't gotten to take a trip out there ever and, and see it. And I'm even willing to admit that I myself have not actually gotten to see that area, although I'm going to try and change that in the next in the next few months, maybe. But, uh, you know, maybe for, for people who don't understand, you know, first of all, um, kind of what that lifestyle looks like, you know, being in that area, being somebody who's born and raised in, in Montana and, you know, what makes it so special, so unique, not just, you know, the area, but also, you know, what you get to do and, and what you get to experience out of, out of life being in that area. And, and maybe also how things like affordable electricity or, or, you know, having access to, you know, the benefits of, of some of those things might also kind of make that, um, a, a possibility as well. I would describe, uh, the, the lifestyle, in Montana as um, work hard and play hard. Um, 
you know, I've, I've been fortunate in, in my career to travel a lot of different areas. And I consistently kind of just come back to that. Montana um, is home to some of the hardest working people that I have found anywhere. <laughs> um, we, we, we kind of, a lot of us kind of just kind of grew up that way. Um, you have to, you know, pull up your bootstraps and get to work. And we're really, really good at that um, in Montana because a lot of the the lifestyle is it's challenging, right? So you work hard and you get through it. Um, on the business side of things, when you're not, you know, you're not in a thriving metropolitan area, uh, you have to work hard to keep your business. You have to work hard to keep folks happy. Uh, it's just, you know, there's, there aren't as many opportunities um, here in this, this, these smaller environments. So um, we're just a, we're a work, we're a hardworking, we're a hardworking people. Uh, but we also play really, really hard. Um, you know, I think that 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 we we all um, work so that we can take advantage of of living in this area, um, so that we can you know take our kids skiing on the weekends, and we can get out on the boat and um, you know go fishing, and we can you know take a week in the fall to go hunting and hiking and um, camping in the summertime. And I mean, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find people in Montana who don't take advantage of those things. Otherwise, why would you live here? It's, it's can be, it can be really harsh. (laughs) (laughs) I saw, I saw a meme online or someone sent it to me one, one time earlier this winter when it was, you know, negative 30 degrees. And and it's, why would I live somewhere where the air hurts my face? (laughs) And it's true. (laughs) Well, because we get to take advantage of all of those other wonderful, wonderful things. Um, and it's, I mean, we're so fortunate, um, really we are. So it's, uh, yeah, come and visit. You'll like it. And then here's (laughs) what happens. Typically people come and visit in the, in the, you know, July, August, September timeframe when it's just perfection here. Mm -hmm. And then they all move. Yeah. They move in (laughs) and then they live through a winter and then they call flat electric and they're like, what did you do to my heating bills? Did you raise the rates? <laughs> nope. That would, that's what it costs to, that's what it costs to heat your home in the winter in Montana. So, um, but again, you know, like I kind of already alluded to, uh, you know, having affordable, affordable rates really allows all of that to, to keep happening because wages are not, um, are not very high uh, here in the state either because of some of those things I already, already mentioned. So, um, you know, having that, that access to those, that affordable power is just, critical to keeping our communities thriving and moving. And, um, and, uh, you know, we are fortunate to be seeing some, you know, new business types come in and, um, and they're here, you know, partly they're able to be here because of, of access to power. So especially like our manufacturing, um, sector, right. Um, big users of power and also big providers of, of jobs and, and growth and economy for our, for our local areas. So, um, yeah, thank you, Hydropower, for letting them <laughs> letting them come and letting them stay. <laughs> yeah, certainly, and and you know, at least the ones that can handle their face hurting in the winter time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Kevin, one of the funniest things, my uh, I'll just share a share a little story here. But um, mm. you know, early in COVID, when we were when we were masking up and and all of that. Uh, my daughter it was the middle of the winter and she said um she was really appreciative of the masks during the winter because when we walk into the grocery store and stuff she 
mm-hmm. <laughs> kept her face warm. <laughs> yep, as we're walking through these blizzard-like conditions and biting cold, she's like, this is nice. <laughs> oh, too funny. I can understand that. I mean, when we had when we had uh, the wildfire smoke here um, during, uh, it must have been what two or th- maybe two or three years ago. I can't remember now. We anyways, we had some real bad fires, um, you know, right here in the area. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, this mask thing kind of. I mean, it's not keeping the smoke out, but it it does at least kind of like take the bite out of the air a little bit, you know, the smell's not quite as intense. So I should mention, you know, we, we get those too. So it's the, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, we really do live here for sort of those perfect days and months and we take advantage of them when we get them because otherwise you're, you know, you've got some of that, that bitter cold to deal with in the winter. And then we've, man, I'll tell you the last decade or so, it's just the fire seasons have been horrible. And we spend, um, we tend to spend a lot of of August, um, late August and September, um, kind of engrossed with the smoke from either our area or other areas outside of ours. And, uh, and that's been, that's been tough too. Cause man, those are the reasons we live here for those yeah. months. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, when we talk about extremes over here, you know, and, and, you know, even in our communication as an organization, we're talking about, um, you know, we get a cold day or uh, I guess a kind of a cold snap where, you know, maybe the span of a few days it's below freezing. It's not necessarily, you know, even down to zero or anything like that, but we're down in the teens and maybe see a little bit of single digits or, um, you know, we've certainly had our fair share of some nasty fires and, you know, those couple heat dome events that happened that pushed us, you know, way up into <laughs> triple digits. But um, you know, oftentimes our extreme weather, our extreme kind of circumstances here are kind of in this maybe narrower range, whereas opposed to, you know, looking at Montana, you start to get kind of into those negative temperatures and, um, you know, things can get a little more intense than maybe what we're used to. And obviously there's challenges that come with that is, you know, we've been talking about for the the co-op side of things. I mean, what do those challenges look like in, in trying to make sure, you know, whether it's wildfire and, and transmission lines or whether it's, you know, those cold, you know, negative temperatures that, you know, really push maybe the envelope of uh, energy usage for everyone trying to heat their homes and things. I mean, how does, how does Flathead deal with that as a, as a, you know, kind of way of keeping life operating and working there? Well, um, you know, we, we, really take for one thing we really take outage communications very very seriously for those reasons um we you know that's one of the things i was have been very focused on for my my full um tenure here is how do we more effectively reach people during power outages and make sure that they have the information that they need to keep themselves safe um like literally alive in some cases right um when you're dealing with the kind of cold cold temperatures that we deal with so we've taken a really uh aggressive approach with our outage communications. Um, we we want members to, um, this is kind of my mantra, but we want our members to have the information that we know as soon as we know it, right? And that's really ultimately all they want either. We just want to know what you know when you know it <laughs> from, from an outage communication standpoint. So why is my power out? And we tell them, 
um, you know, we give them those causes. When is when do we expect it to be on? We do our best to prioritize estimated time restoration so that they can plan. If they've got livestock, if they need to leave their their home, if they have pipes freezing, that they can just they can do some additional planning. If they need to find find backup power, um, we work with our members to uh, to make sure that they've got backup power and um, and make sure that they're installing generators. Um, you know, safely and correctly, um, and try to serve as a resource for them there too. Um, and then, you know, obviously on obviously on the operations side, um, our our planning is is all about how to keep our system reliable, where we can put lines underground, where we can do more right of way work. Um, you know, we have a um, a very a very robust um, operational plan to um, to look at you know ten years out what our what our system looks like and how we can how we can keep the power on. It is really, really difficult. You know, we have, um, you know, last night I was listening to my phone, my phone ding as we had outages rolling in, uh, because mm -hmm. we had a totally unexpected windstorm. <laughs> um, that was, you know, we just, we just kind of, we say in Montana, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes because, uh, two hours before that windstorm rolled in, I was out on a five mile bike ride with my family. And <laughs> all of a sudden I looked up at the sky and I'm like, uh, pedal faster kids. <laughs> we gotta get home. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, and we live in a very heavily treed area too. That's part of the, the beauty of Northwest Montana is this mountains and trees everywhere, which makes right of way work really difficult and, um, wildfire mitigation work really difficult, but, um, but we've really just focused on that, uh, to do the best, to the best of our abilities to try to just keep things as reliable as possible. And then, you know, on the extreme cold stuff we also we also are are concerned about resource adequacy so we hit a an all-time system peak on december 22nd of this year during that that cold snap and um you know then we're we're worried about looking at transmission constraints coming into, into our area and how do we plan for that in the future and um and uh and do we have the the capacity that we need um and how can we you know make sure that we can can keep power on in the future so um, yeah, a whole host of things, but all all on the radar. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna get into the the resource adequacy here. One thing I do have to ask, um, you know, before we transition off the topic of challenges, and I mean, I just have to, I personally have to ask. I don't know. I I hope maybe some of our listeners will appreciate me tossing this out here, but um, you know, one of the other things that's maybe a little bit more extreme about Montana would be that you know, compared to some of our wildlife here, you know, you guys have got elk, moose, uh, grizzly bears, you know, the whole, the whole gamut there. Um, when it comes to, uh, the co-op and, you know, you have employees that are out in the field doing, you know, various work, are there, are there any, uh, fun stories that you could share about, uh, encounters? I mean, are there any, are there any challenges that come with, you know, having people out there, you know, doing maybe outage repair, you know, repair work and things like that and having to having to deal with some of the local critters there? <laughs> oh, you mean working on high voltage power lines isn't uh, challenging enough, but you also have to do it in grizzly bear country? Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we have regular wildlife encounters. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of, I mean, that's that's kind of just part of the part of the world of living here um but yes i mean certainly our we've got stories of linemen encountering bears regularly i saw thinking of of just a just a quick story um i got a 
text from a lineman a couple of years ago um, that was a video of two bucks fighting and they literally ran into the side of our bucket truck, ran into it. They were completely, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it is a wild video. Um, I mean, they're just, you know, two bucks and they're, they're fighting for, I'm sure whatever dough is out there <laughs> and they're right, right. <laughs> in their, in their fight and clanging. And I mean, I think they were like, I think they were in our, they were interlocked. I think their, mm-hmm. um, their antlers were, and I mean, they're just, they're just, have no idea that there is a bucket truck and a crew of linemen there. <laughs> they're just, they've got <laughs> blinders on and uh, yep. Smashed right into the side of the truck. So that was pretty, that was pretty crazy, but yeah, we've kind of seen it all. We've got, I mean, we have lots of, uh, lots of challenges with wildlife and keeping the power on too. We've got animals mm-hmm. in our, in our lines regularly. I mean, yeah. especially smaller animals, but right. But right, yeah, right. We've, we've definitely seen, definitely seen some challenges there. Yeah. Um, and they, and you know, linemen are out there in the middle of the night in the middle of the woods. So they definitely <laughs> have to watch their backs. But thankfully, you know, we also um most of them are very are very comfortable in that environment because you know, mm-hmm. most of us who live here again, we hike, we hunt, we fish, we know how to take precautions um for the for a lot of those things anyhow. So it's not like it's a um uncomfortable situation for us. Right. Most, right. most of us are taken in those types of activities here. Yeah, no. just part of the part of the lifestyle. <laughs> part of the lifestyle. That's yeah. right. So maybe they can, yeah. you know, maybe they can repair an outage and then you know do a little hunting while they're out there. I don't know. Yeah, at least kind of do a little scouting. You know, get a yeah. feel for maybe. I'm sure. You know. I'm certain they're doing some scouting. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I am certain of that. <laughs> just doing, just taking a little bit be, of a mental note. Yeah. <laughs> I would be for sure. Yeah. So yeah, before, you know, before we get too off topic, uh, <laughs> let's talk hydropower. So um, yeah, so what, uh, you know, in terms of everything that we've talked about leading up to this, you know, what is the the value of, of hydro to Flathead and uh, the community and kind of, uh, you know, Western Montana as a whole, you know, we think of Northwest hydropower, the Columbia, all that, but for, you know, that area as well. I, I understand that hydro is really important. Hydro is really important. Um, first off, I would say that uh, we have two federal hydro projects in Flathead areas, Flathead Electric's service area. So mm-hmm. we have both Hungry Horse Dam and um, Libby Dam uh, mm-hmm. served by Flathead Electric, mm-hmm. um, interestingly. And so, uh, you know, having literally having hydro generation in our backyard is, is kind of part of, of just the area in general, um, you know, certainly we, we appreciate the other things that come along with that recreating on hungry horse dam and, um, and what comes along with that. But, you know, we're also, I think have a little bit more of an awareness of, of it because it's in our backyard. Um, but, but we also have, a, and I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but we also have a, a really heavy reliance on it <clears throat> and the benefits that it provides to our community. Um, our members are really very appreciative of um of having this carbon free power um and we hear about that a, a lot uh but they're but the the thing that i think is more critical for our area area again is that affordability and that reliability um i i think quite literally that uh western montana would not look the way it looks without 
without that resource, without that affordable power, because power costs are such a big part of our all of our lives, um, or power usage, electricity, electrical usage, especially in the rural areas. So, um, and then we already kind of touched on the on the reliability and why that's so critical. Um, you know, a lot of our members have have backup power, have generators, um, because of it's just it's that critical that they need they they can't they can't be at risk of not having it. Uh, we actually have our linemen will tell us that there are areas of our service territory that like real rural areas that they'll drive into and they can't tell if the power's on or not because all of the lights, all the houses have lights on because everybody has installed a generator because they just they deal with with the elements and can't can't really afford not to have that um not to have that power. So uh so yeah, I mean it's it's just I think again it's what it's what our communities are built on and have come to rely on and um and we're trying to help them help our members understand um what a great resource it is and how how delicate this resource is even if they don't fully grasp that it's part of what they what what our community was built on right um mm -hmm. i think for a lot i think a lot of times it's it's taken for granted that we that we have that we have this access that we have and this resource that we have and um you know because we've had access to it for so long and uh and so that's part of what we try to do is is help educate them that you know how fortunate really we are in this area we also have um you know a lot of people here have been here for a long time we've talked about the growth and the tourism and the new people moving in but most people who have been here like myself for generations um that's a large chunk of our community and, and they haven't lived somewhere else so they haven't experienced what what it is to pay an electricity bill outside of western montana <laughs> um and so there's this there's that other component of educating them on on really how how great we have it with access to to the federal Columbia River River Power System, um, and what it's done for them in their lives, and why they should be uh, making sure that that we're protecting that access. Um, I think that's the other piece that that we've tried to tried to focus on in our communications. And it, you know, it did also it as we were talking earlier about um, you know the the communication around outage communications and and really bolstering that you know, wheels start turning in my head like, well, gosh, it's got to be a challenge when people come in, you know, maybe let's say in August and they're new to the area and, and they're maybe not ready for necessarily what's coming in the wintertime. And you have to make that connection and be able to, you know, get in front of them and say, hey, this is what you need to be prepared for. This is, you know, the things that you should be doing now so that when those times do come, you're ready. But, um, I would think that there's probably also some challenge that does come with reaching those people and saying, hey, you know, by the way, this hydropower stuff is really important to us too. And this is why, you know, the rest of us are kind of on board and why we hope that you'll you'll get on board as well. The people coming into the area you know, get it a little bit more because they've dealt with mm, they've dealt with they've paid electric bills elsewhere. It's it, it mm, is it's interesting. Mm, They're not prepared mm -hmm. for how high their bills will be in the winter. But mm -hmm. they but they do appreciate the you know the low the access to low cost electricity that we have in our area a little bit better than the folks who have been here for many 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 years but who probably rely on it more than some of the new folks coming in because we're seeing the influx of people coming who are um a little bit uh better off um financially and and kind of able to adjust to those swings and and really the the fo folks who've been here for a very long time who are having 
um, some more of the the trouble um, keeping up with the financial burden that our growth is putting on them. Um, you know, it's we we've we're watching really carefully because the prices of everything are, are rising so, so quickly, especially I already right. touched on housing, especially housing, but everything, right? I mean, everybody's dealing with that inflation. And um, and although we've been able to keep our, our rates really um, stable and well below the, you know, well before below inflationary costs for our members, um, they're still having a harder and harder and harder time paying their bills because everything else is so much more expensive here, especially their homes. It's an interesting it's an interesting perspective, but it, it does, you know, as you're you're describing it, it makes a lot of sense, actually, that, you know, people people coming from maybe other areas would go, gosh, this is really nice. I really enjoy, you know, at least even if it even if there are some dramatic swings, at least I enjoy that there's, you know, some some benefit to having those cheaper rates. And, and when you don't have to use a lot of energy, you can really enjoy that. Maybe you could elaborate. I think it's. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think, I think that, again, I think that, you know, the power cost piece becomes more critical for, for the people who haven't moved in here than at that mm -hmm. point, who are already, um, already shouldering a, the, a, a lot of the cost of the growth. Um, and again, right. that comes with, with its positives and its negatives, but, you know, these folks aren't the ones who caused it, you know, especially I look at some of our, um, our older folks who are on a, on fixed incomes when we're a very, we're a fairly old um, area actually, interestingly, um, you know, a lot of the people who are moving here are, are retirement age. A lot of the people who have stayed here forever and ever are, are, are retirement age as well. And so many of them are, um, are fixed income and they were the folks who really built these communities. Um, they're loggers and the, and the farmers and the ranchers and, um, and they're having to really to shoulder this cost of, of this growth that they didn't cause. And so that's, you know, we're very focused on on not having electricity costs be one more thing that they have to have to be burdened with. Mm -hmm. it's created some some challenges for sure. Yeah, and I think that ties ties into where I kind of wanted to go next, and and you know maybe you could elaborate on on this a bit more. There's a, a strong interest for Montana and from co-ops like your own, and what happens with the hydropower resources that are, you know, located further west out, you know, here more towards us. Maybe, maybe, like I said, could you elaborate on, on where that interest comes from and, and why, you know, people maybe connect the dots for people who don't quite understand why people in Western Montana would be really interested in the hydropower issues that are happening in Washington and Oregon and places like that. They all will directly impact us, right? Um, because we share these resources as a region. And so, um, you know, we're especially worried about those, you know, those those last bits of resources that help keep the system reliable and affordable because we're the ones who really, really need those pieces. Um, you know, we're the ones who need, you know, during those extreme events that, you know, that, the lower Snake River dams to keep the keep the lights on for our members. We we it's critical for us, and to keep those those costs just a little bit more affordable, it's critical for us. And um, and I mean you're right. It's hard to understand why Western why somebody sitting in Western Montana cares about a dam sitting in Eastern Washington. But we're all we're all connected, you know, not only by the 
literally by the river system, but also mm -hmm. by this electric grid that we all share. Um, and so we've been able to, I think, fairly effectively make that connection for people of, of why that matters to us. And we've worked really hard to, to do that through our outreach and through our education and through our communications um, to say really ultimately everything that's happening from a power and energy and energy policy standpoint in Washington and Oregon is directly impacting Montana, whether we make those decisions or not. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is an impact. And, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot for us is that, you know, we talk about with uh, certain dams being removed or not removed that there's this possibility of a rate increase that could take place as a result of that, that, it's, you know, it's hard to pinpoint because, you know, when we're communicating, we're talking about an entire region, right? And so it's, it's going to affect everybody differently. But there's this, you know, up to 25% number. And then there's kind of this like, or more component of like, hey, it, it could go over 25%. It just depends on on where you are and, you know, how much your utilities tied into, into power coming from those dams and everything like that. But the other part of that that's I think equally if not more important is to to really understand that say raising rates 25% in your area impacts people differently than it does maybe somewhere else you know in in the greater northwest I mean if people are already struggling with the cost of living going up if they're struggling with housing prices if if you're talking about all these other components and then you go hey by the way your bill might go up another 25%. Um, and certainly if you're talking about the winter time, especially it sounds like 25% could be a pretty substantial amount of money when you're trying to heat your home at that point in time. So, um, could be detrimental. you know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when people think about that, maybe, you know, let's say here in, in our area where I'm recording today, you know, 25% on, you know, I don't know, let's say a hundred dollars. Okay. 125. I got 25 more dollars, whatever, you know, I mean, it, I don't want to, but it's not a huge number, right? But if you're talking about, let's say a, a $500 power bill and you add 25% to that, it's a pretty big number. It's a pretty big number for folks. And, and it's, it's just, it's a very delicate balance to find here. Cause you, I mean, we have, you know, we have people here too, who are like, well, raise my rates a little bit to, you know, for some of these other things, that's great. I don't mind at all. And then we have a large sector of our members who it would just it would just cripple them. I mean, we are trying to keep in, in an area with rapid growth and rapid um, increases in prices and not rapid increases in salary. We are trying to keep teachers here and service workers and, um, you know, law enforcement and, you know, some of the things that we have to have to serve this growth. Um, it's it's really, really difficult um, for, for folks to to stay here and, and afford to live here. So, um, so yeah, it does matter. And, and the folks who, like I've mentioned, have been here for a long time and are on fixed incomes and didn't cause this growth and didn't make policy decisions that impact the costs. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. And it is a little bit tougher in this area, I think, than, than other parts of the region for some of the, some of those reasons we've already discussed we have our we have our own particular set of challenges so and you know i i recently saw a a documentary on a kind of like 
where they described it as a ghost town in Alaska, um, which, you know, would be another a little bit more rural place compared to, you know, nice urban western Washington here. But um, it wasn't truly a ghost town in the sense it was abandoned, but there wasn't a lot of people left in the area. And it is, you know, it's a different picture, right? You have a lot of growth happening. This place was obviously seeing, you know, sort of a negative growth taking place. But one of the challenges they describe is that things like cost of living, things like, you know, the the challenge of of trying to make that work, you know, you get the people that are kind of in that bracket you're talking about, where they're older, they're retired, they're, you know, kind of in, you know, some of those later generations it makes it hard for the younger generations, the the people you're describing now, like the teachers, um, you know, the people in the community, to to stay there. And so over time, it's like, well, yeah, the you know that older generation continues to get older, eventually, kind of starts to phase out. And then what happens when you don't have anybody left to do the work to keep the community going, right? So, you know, there's a lot of value in making sure that everybody can can make it work and continue to be a part of the community yep yep and it's it's a major challenge that we're facing right now it yeah. is a major challenge so we're seeing teachers having to leave the area um and i say but then who will teach the children <laughs> it's, right. it's tough right. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah so that kind of ties in as well to you know you touched on um the lower snake river dam specifically and uh, as I understand it, Montana's legislature is considering passing a, is it a bill? Is it a resolution? I'm not, I, I want to make sure It's a joint resolution. Okay. Yep. It's a joint resolution against the removal of the lower Snake River dams that the Montana legislature um, actually has has now passed. It was just sent to mm. enrolling. So we're waiting on um, on that to be signed by the leadership in, in both chambers. Um and you know, I think it's I think it's a really important uh, statement for Montana to make that um, that at this time uh, we don't we don't support the any discussions about the removal of those dams. We're just not at a um, we're not at a point when where that makes sense. And we have a you know some important stakes to think of in those discussions. Um, so I'm really really pleased that um, that we were able to work with our um, our friends in the legislature there and uh, help educate um, that group on the importance of those those projects and uh, some of the concerns that we have in the region um, coming up in terms of resource adequacy and um, and affordability of power. Uh, we we were able to um, well, I will say that the the resolution received strong bipartisan report uh, support. Um, mm-hmm. which we were very, very pleased to see. Um, that's It's not a party lines issue uh, in the state of Montana, um, or I don't think really in the, in the region completely either, um, but we were really pleased to to see that coming out of the Montana legislature. Certainly, certainly. And and obviously we, we were as well here. Um, and it's, it's good to, it's good to see some, maybe some balancing taking place in terms of, um, you know, different perspectives on, on how we should manage those resources and uh, what our, our take as a, as a region is going to be on, on their future moving forward. For people in the area, for, you know, people, Montanans that want to continue to see their rates be affordable, continue to see, you know, 
no little to no impact on their lifestyle as far as how energy resource adequacy uh, cost is going to you know play a role in that um, are there things that people can or or you know I don't want to be too bold and saying should, but, you know, are there things that people can or should be doing um, as far as, you know, whether it's it's being supportive of, of hydropower, being supportive of, you know, their local, you know, the co-op, the utilities, um, you know, what, what can people do to kind of be an active participant? Well, Austin, I will be so bold as to say should. <laughs> I hope I, uh, we've we've really tried to encourage our members to to get educated on on these issues um that really do directly impact them um i think that folks should understand where their power comes from as we um as we enter into a a time of limited resources and um greater concern about reliability i think that uh that that we have a responsibility to be better educated on those issues and to understand um, some of those challenges and to be a voice on um, on shaping policy that impacts uh, impacts those things. Uh, I mean, we've I think we've been able for a long time to just rely on um, on the hydropower system and the benefits that come with it and not had to think much more about it. And that's just not, uh, not where we're at today. Um, so we really have, have tried to work with our members to help them be involved and educated on the issues and to take a really fair look at, um, at the future. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that they understand if we are looking at increased rates in the future, that they're, that they understand, that they know why. And that they feel like um, like Flathead Electric did uh, everything that we could to um, help avoid that for them, um, to keep them them safe, both physically safe and economically safe, um, and that they felt like they could have a voice in in doing that same thing um, has really been a, a focus of ours. So um, you know, we encourage members to take part in um, you know learning and talking with co-op employees and attending annual meetings and talking with legislators and being part of 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 the solution i mean ultimately we are going to have to come together as a region and figure out how to how to address these issues and um keeping in mind the places that are are really impacted like you know little western montana over here um because we've got we've got major impacts um and i mean frankly i i would also say we have we have you know, a lot of regional reach out of our little service area too. I mean, we've got some thriving businesses, especially on the manufacturing sector that have, I mean, not only regional reach, but, but global reach. Um, I mean, I, I would, I would point out that, uh, that, you know, we serve applied materials here in Kalispell and, um, they're a global, a global leader in, um, semiconductor microchip manufacturing. And the, mm -hmm. the facility here in Kalispell that we serve manufactures the equipment used to make those chips, uh, which which are used in lots of different areas, including, um, you know, PV technology. So, uh, so it's important that we we keep those things going and operating and, uh, you know, operationally viable with with the power that they that they rely on from the from the hydro system. So 
um, a lot of interesting ties to the rest of the region, I think, from Northwest Montana that that folks not, or Western Montana that folks might not might not think about. Definitely, definitely. And I'm sure uh, people are at least a little bit familiar in this post COVID world um, with things like the importance of of those semiconductors. I know there's been a lot of talk about that and, you know, chip shortages and things like that. So, um, you know, there is a lot to consider there. But, um, you know, we certainly uh, appreciate, you know, not only Flathead, the co-op, but, um, you know, the membership itself, um, you know, being one of our own members here at the organization and, and the work that everyone has done there. And, and you know, we, we really, uh, as, a, as an organization, you know, our voice is only as strong as, as really the people we represent and, and their own voices. And so um, we've been really glad to, to see that there's been so much support there. And it's been really crucial in, in making sure that we can continue to have access to these resources and, and have a strong hydropower system that can make life affordable and doable for all of us. Yeah, likewise. Um... Austin, we, we really just appreciate the Northwest River Partners team and um, you and Kurt and uh, and um, so glad that we've got you, you as partners and helping in this really complex uh, and challenging future that we're, we're all trying to uh, have the best, the best Pacific Northwest that we can. Um, and it's 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 delicate and it's challenging. And we're glad to have you, you guys as a voice and uh, glad to be supportive of the organization. So. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So, you know, we've covered pretty pretty much a lot of a lot of the ground today. We've we've really gotten everything in from grizzly bears and line workers to resource adequacy. So, I'd say it's a pretty successful podcast in terms of of getting all the topics in. <laughs> but there's one more thing that we always do here, and I don't know. Have you listened to any of the the previous episodes we've done at all? I have. All right. All right. So you might know what I'm about to do and, and put you on the spot for, but um, we try and give everybody an opportunity here at the end to have the floor and and really, you know, speak speak from the heart so that our listeners get to know the, the person and, um, you know, really get to take kind of a good a message away from every podcast we do. So um, I ask everybody if they have any good advice that you can leave us on, anything that, uh, you know, unrelated or related to today's discussion, if there's there's a, a little word of advice you want to give our listeners and, and give them something to close out on. I think I, I would leave you um, with, well, I'll, I'll start by just telling you, um, I'm, I'm a fairly optimistic person. Okay, I'm an, I'm an optimist. <laughs> uh, and one of the uh, one of the things that I've learned about myself from from others who I've worked with is that um, apparently I like to find the opportunities in every challenge. Um, and I don't know that I have a real inspirational quote or anything to leave you with, but um, but I would I would just encourage all of us to um, you know we have a lot of challenges coming up in this industry. Um, and I think with each of those, if we can, if we can look for the opportunities to come together, look for the opportunities to find um, common ground, and um, and try to learn a, a little bit more about each other in in the process, um, I think we'll I think we'll be all right. So find the find the opportunities in those challenges because they they exist. 
Absolutely. And and I think too, you know, it's it's worth saying that um, there is uh, there's a lot more common ground here on, on some of these issues than uh, maybe it's made out to be. So I hope that maybe through this podcast or, or through other opportunities that we can we can find a way to make that happen. So I appreciate I especially appreciate that advice. It, it hits home for me at least. So very good. Well, thank you so much, Austin, for having having me on. I hope that uh, hope you will come and visit us. We've got we've got lots to offer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan. That's the plan. I need to make more of a, a point of it than just making the drive through a little corner to get over to Yellowstone. And even then, I've only done that once. So it's time to uh, change that. I've been I've been a lot of places and somehow just managed to not make that one happen. So. Yeah, it's the, yeah, oh, it's the, man. yeah, you got to do Yellowstone and Glacier to get both of the, both of the parks while you're here. Glacier's in our backyard. So, um, yeah, I'm part yeah. of that one, but yeah, and not yeah. Yellowstone, the TV show. Holy cow. Has that driven some, <laughs> some, uh, oh, I can only dollars. Imagine. It's good, but also people. Wow. Yeah. Every time a new episode of Yellowstone comes out, the realtors phones start ringing here. <laughs> Literally. I'm not kidding. Uh, I can only I can only imagine. I haven't actually seen an episode of it, but I I know there's quite a bit of hype around it. So yeah, I'm sure that's driving up. And I don't I don't know I don't even know if they having not seen it I don't know if they film on location, but I'm sure that whatever whatever is being presented on TV is probably not maybe the most accurate description of reality i could be wrong i could be wrong i don't know i maybe need to see an episode before a lot of it is filmed in montana and it's gorgeous but we do we do like to remind people that most of it's filmed in wyoming so maybe Mm, try there mm -hmm. right 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 there's a lot of room there's a lot of room there the population's a little a little lower you know why don't you (laughs) yeah 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 well, thanks for coming on thanks thanks for making the time for this i really appreciate it and uh i think we had a really good Really good discussion, as always. I, I don't think I've ever not felt that way about a single episode we've done so far. So we'll keep that streak going, and, and I appreciate you being a part of it. Thanks, Austin. Talk to you later. Well, I can confidently say I learned a lot through this one, and even though Katie is no stranger to us here at River Partners, it was great to hear her perspective on a whole host of topics today. Not to mention all the great messages she had to share, including the value of things like communication and optimism. And of course, the value of hydropower. As always, I hope you learned something today too. For example, if you're thinking about moving to Montana anytime soon, maybe take a trip there in the winter time before you pack up all your belongings and head out. All right, on to the housekeeping. This is my time to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever listening platform you're using right now, so you don't miss out on future releases which arrive every other Friday. I believe there's also a notification bell you can tap on and that will provide you with a notification letting you know when new episodes arrive if you forget that they're coming out every other Friday. And as always, we wanna hear your feedback, so leave us a review on that same listening platform. If you give us a five-star rating and say nice things, you can help other people find and enjoy DAM and we greatly appreciate that. As always, though, keep it honest, and don't do it just because I told you to. Now, if you're all caught up on episodes of Dam and you just can't satisfy your craving for more hydropower, you can always find us on social media at NW River Partners, 
and head to our website, nwriverpartners.org. Until next time, see ya!